millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports football correspondent Alex Crook, and our European football expert, Kevin Hatchard. Today's top stories Manchester City hand Arsenal the title initiative. Chelsea hit by late Forest surge. Where are they going to finish, by the way? United on the charge and a whole midweek of fixtures to look forward to as the festive policies continue. It's the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. Marcus Rashford cutting in from the left-hand side, getting a return ball from Bruno Fernandes. Rashford's gone on and scored! Oh, it was inevitable! The prodigal son returns! They're going to square it to Mares. In the area, onto his left foot, onto his right foot. Pokes it towards goal and it's turned in! And it's that man again! Erling Haaland! Palace double their lead. The ball play to Eze on the edge of the penalty area and it's a rocket right foot shot into the bottom corner. Gray, pirouette's edge of the area. Can he find a shot? It backed off him. He's going to have a shot. Oh, oh what wow. a goal. What a wonderful oh. goal. Damari Gray. Fulham 2, Southampton 1. Fulham way well have nicked this one here. And it's Polinia nodding home a corner. And Everton have clung on for a huge point here. The champions have been denied. Long ball forward. And in the end, Arsenal have extended their lead. Brighton to Arsenal 4. Tottenham 0, Aston Villa 2. It's Douglas Luiz, and I have to say, it is a quite brilliant goal. It's Nottingham Forest 1, Chelsea 1. Forest are level, and deservedly so, after starting the second half so well. Serge Aurier has scored it. Hello, boys. Happy New Year to you. Hope all is well. I'm certainly a little bit perturbed by the fact that uh, whilst I was away, uh, Crookie was telling everybody where I was, what I was up to, what I was doing, and um, demanding that I came back. He's then had a go at me on air pretty much every day since my arrival back in the UK. Um, bearing in mind how many holidays this guy has and how often he's on a sundowner, for me to have one week off seems to have offended him rather rather too much, I think, Kevin. I don't understand. what. what do you miss me that much, Crook? Well, Crook, you will always know that uh, I call him the Judith Chalmers of talk sport. Now, that's a reference that uh, teenagers <laughs> won't get, but I've called him that for a long, long time. So I think I'm on your side with this one, Sam, to be honest. I think I was hitting back after you compared me to, what, an Alsatian or, or some other massive Doberman-type dog? <laughs> no, it was a golden retriever, big and stupid. <laughs> Which got played out every 15 minutes on the boot room on Sunday night. <laughs> uh, look, um, there's some big stories from the uh, weekend's football and so much to look forward to going forward. Uh, let's start with Arsenal-Newcastle Tuesday night, 7.45, because look, 
Arsenal are in the title race, aren't they? They finished the year seven points clear at the top of the table. Uh, 14th top flight win of the season. They're impeccable at home. Are they really going to run Manchester City that close? Could they even win the title, Crook? I think they're the favourites as we sit here now. And I think they have to start thinking of themselves in such terms. When you're seven points clear against a Manchester City team who at times are struggling to put sides to the sword. And I think we need to ask the question later, have they become too reliant on Erling Haaland in terms of goals? The way that Arsenal are passing every character test that comes their way, I thought Brighton away would be a really difficult game for the Gunners, but they simply swatted them aside in the first half. Uh, and for me, if you're asking me to put £100 on any team to win the title, it would be Arsenal. I think they've got all the tools. I think they've got a fantastic spirit, a great character, a fearlessness of youth. And I actually think they'll beat Newcastle in midweek. Uh, difficult game though, isn't it? Uh, Newcastle United, who themselves play incredibly well, Kevin, over the course of the piece. If you look at their work over the season, bearing in mind that Eddie Howe took over a team, which is largely still based up of a lot of those players that were fighting relegation last season. It's pretty impressive. It's hugely impressive, especially defensively. Um, I mean, their XG numbers suggest that Nick Pope's played a big role in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you've got a top quality goalkeeper. Uh, you want him to make an impact. But they feel like a real unit. Uh, and the irony is, I think, when obviously there was the takeover, people assumed that they'd be on the blower to Neymar and Mbappe and what have you. Actually, what's happened is they've built a proper team, a proper unit. And I think it's very important going forward that Eddie Howe is able to have at least some say in how that team is put together. So they're ahead of schedule. No question about that. They've had some good results on the road. They were very unlucky at Anfield, uh, conceding that very, very late goal. And so you look at the body of work, it's it's hugely impressive. It's a good test for Arsenal. I know we keep saying this, and Arsenal keep passing these tests. I have to hold my hands up. I thought that there were still big question marks going into this season about Arsenal's character, about whether they could deal with the pressure, because they didn't deal with it at the end of last season, and Tottenham were able to move past them in the race for the top four. But the way that that unit has performed so far this season is really quite extraordinary. You didn't trust the process last year, did you? But you're starting to trust it now. I've started to trust it since the beginning of the season. There's something about that fellow that I really like, and I've mentioned that on the podcast uh, a couple of times. Kev, I'm always interested. I've missed you a little bit as well, you know, especially your references, constant references to XG. Do you walk around with the XG numbers in your pocket? Have you got them for us? <laughs> I wish I did, like get the big de- get thing off the desk, this big tome. No, but it's interesting because I think XG in a single game, I think, is always a bit, you know, a bit ropey as a measure. But I think when you can see trends and I think when you can see, uh, you know, you use it alongside the site test. And I think with Newcastle, when you watch their games, you can see that's a good side. It's a well-organized team. And then you look at the expected goals against numbers and see how low they are. And you think, wow, okay, that just reinforces what you think about them. And it's the same with a team like Liverpool, for example. Going forward, you know they're amazing. Like Their XG figures going forward are incredible. But defensively, it's exactly what you think it's going to be. They give up far too many chances. So it's a good guide, I think. And that's something to talk about in regards to Arsenal and whether or not they can actually go on and complete the job crook because, you know, they've got a 100% record at home. They're the only Premier League side that have managed that over the course of the season. But yet everybody scores there. In fact, at the Emirates, only Nottingham Forest have failed to score there this 
campaign. So you'd give Newcastle a chance in this game. And going forward, actually, that's something that Mikel Arteta will have to sort out. I think you give Newcastle a chance if Callum Wilson is fit to start with the greatest respect in the world. Uh, if Chris Wood is, is leading the line, it will be a, a much simpler task for that Arsenal defence. And I think that's my concern about Newcastle moving forward. Didn't he score at the weekend? I think he did, didn't he? He scored, he scored, he scored last week. Yeah, but he missed chances against Leeds at the weekend. Um, I think they need Isak uh, fit as soon as possible um, because it, obviously we know that with Callum, he's talking about XG, it should be XI when it comes to Callum Wilson <laughs> expected injuries because you know that he's not going to be able to stay fit for any prolonged period of time. But um, yeah, you're right. They do give up chances Arsenal and uh, I thought Saliba actually uh, looked particularly dodgy against Brighton at the weekend, maybe suffering a little bit of a World Cup hangover. So, yeah, I- I'm sure that will be a concern. But I think that the home form that you've mentioned is going to be absolutely crucial. And the fans have played a part in that because there have been times in the recent past where the Emirates has been quite a toxic place uh, to play. Certainly that isn't the case now. They they brought into Mikel Arteta. They love that song about Arteta knowing exactly what they need. And you have to say he does at the moment. Yeah, and they've got a uh, an Arsenal army, haven't they? A, a young sort of is it the Ashburton army or something like that? But they're, uh, they're they've got a young group of fans that have started to sort of generate a bit of a different atmosphere at the club, and it certainly feels like that. And I think they deserve credit where credit's due. And I mentioned this on air yesterday uh, when I was uh, on the Sunday session on Talksport. This title race is an actual race. It's an actual contest between a club that's not used to being up there and maybe a club that that has the ability beyond all others to come and surge from behind. But it makes it exciting. Last year in January, on the 14th of January, remember, Manchester City was so far clear, it looked like nobody can catch them. Yes, Liverpool did end up giving them a run for money, but it looked like it was over in January. That's not the case this time around. Manchester United are on the surge as well. They take on Bournemouth on Tuesday night. It's live on TalkSport. Looking forward to going to Old Trafford for this one. Um, Two teams, polar opposite. Manchester United ending 2022 with real positivity, real verve, goals, playing well, looking like a well-coached team. And Bournemouth, who actually had a real good revival under Gary O'Neill, starting to fall apart a little bit. Kevin, he said Gary O'Neill's worst performance as as, uh, the Bournemouth manager came in that Chelsea game. They can't afford another one. Yeah, and uh, awful against Palace. Uh, the The goals they gave away were quite basic. And I think when you've got a squad that you know is not on par with most of the teams in the Premier League, you have to do the basics right. And they haven't been doing that, giving up too many goals. I think, obviously, you look at, you know, globally what they've done this season. And if you'd offered it to them at the start of the campaign, then they'd probably have taken that. So they're very much in the mix. I think it's interesting when you listen to the new owner talk about signings talking about making four or five signings uh, talk about you know strength in depth in certain positions and uh, bringing quality in others it's obviously going to be critical for them to make the right signings crookie will know more about that than me in terms of who they're looking at and what kind of positions they're looking to strengthen but it feels like a group of players that does need a boost because the quality is not there so they're in there they're competitive they're fighting but it feels like they really need that boost right now. Is this going to be one of those uh, Hollywood stories? I mean, Michael B. Jordan, he's involved now. Um, is it going to be a bit like Creed, where he, he's on the ropes for ages and all of a sudden he has a bit of a dip, then comes back punching right at the last and ends up being the champ? I mean, that may not be the story of the film. I've never seen it, to be honest with you. Uh, but they are dealing with lots of fitness issues. Uh, Neto, David Brooks, Junior Stanislas, uh, Ryan Fredericks, Marcus Tavernier, all been out and have been for a while. Um, so the injection of cash is going to be important, Crook. Where are they spending it? 
Well, I think in all areas. Um, I think they need a new fullback, um, certainly on the left-hand side. Um, they need uh, added depth in midfield. I know Alex Scott, a, a Bristol City, exciting young player, is, is a target, but maybe not quite ready-made for the Premier League as yet. I think they need a boost up front. You know, Kiefer Moore, uh, with the greatest respect in the world, looks like he is um, mentally and physically fatigued. Dominic Solanke playing a slightly different role, but isn't banging goals for fun in the Premier League. So I think they're going to look to strengthen everywhere. But you mentioned those absentees. There's a couple of key ones there. Uh, Neto, in terms of character, uh, is a big voice in the dressing room, so they've really missed him. Uh, David Brooks has been out for a long time now. He'll be like a new signing when he does get fit. And Marcus Tavernier, who was one of the players they did spend money on in the summer, actually has proved to be a really effective Premier League player. So he's a big loss as well. I'm struggling to make a case for Bournemouth going into this game. I agree with Gary O'Neill. They absolutely stunk the place out at the weekend. They weren't great in the first half against Chelsea either. And I think these players probably have gone as far as they can. Kev is absolutely right. It's a championship squad punching above their weight in the Premier League. They need help this transfer window. And I know the, the, the owner and the, the recruitment guys are working really hard to provide that help. But this should be a routine win for a Manchester United side who are in a great place right now. In time and pageants, if the people, uh, the media, don't want to understand this, and uh, I'm, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry for the fans, I'm really sorry for the fans because maybe also last season that, in my opinion, uh, we did the miracle, and then uh, we finished in the top four, but maybe create an, an illusion, you understand? And now, when uh, you your team miss two, three players that usually play in the start 11, you're in trouble. We want to improve uh, the squad, we want to improve the players that we have. You know, we have to be uh, consistent on uh, managing our expectation and uh, what we can deliver. But we have some young talent and when we're talking about young talent with no experience, there will be some up and down, but it's important for the football club to stick together when we are down and uh, and be consistent on that side. Overall, you know, uh, hopefully we can repeat in 2023 those kind of performance because we have a good group of players. And Crystal Palace against Tottenham Hotspur uh, Wednesday night at eight o'clock. Um, talking of mental and physical fatigue, Harry Kane looks a little bit shot, doesn't he? Kev? Yeah, I, I just thought that the whole performance against Villa was so below par uh, and Tottenham keep getting stuck in second gear. It, it's a really strange thing to see because you know they have quality, but what they don't have is somebody who can knit the whole thing together. They don't have a creative force who can unlock the potential of those forward players. Do you feel a little bit sorry for Harry Kane because the tactics that have been employed by his manager, which is basically allow someone to come on to us so that we can then go and counter-attack. And when that doesn't happen, he doesn't really get fed too many chances. Yeah, 100%. Uh, And he's having to do two jobs as well because they don't have that creative force. He's having to come back. And we know how good he is in that kind of 10 role when he comes and he he can play those balls over the top or through and he can release on. But the problem is he can't then be in the box as well. So they need to have that player who can find the angles, who can unlock just those little spaces. Because what happens is it's all very scripted. That's what Conte wants. He has these 
uh, patterns of play that are drilled into the players. But the problem with that is that there's then no off-the-cuff play. There's nobody who can go, well, actually, this isn't working, but I can see that gap. Like an Erdegaard, for example, who can just go, bang, there you go, there's your pass, away you go. And so that, I think, is what they're lacking. They've got a, a lot of other things that are good, but I do think that's a real issue. Also, uh, Doherty I like, but I don't think he's good enough. Emerson Royale simply isn't good enough. That right wing-back role for me, that's where my money would be going if I was at Tottenham. Yeah, that's been an area of uh, most needed improvement all season. Crook, is Antonio Conte in danger of damaging the brand of Tottenham Hotspur? To dare is to do is the motto. They are always associated with adventure and flair going back many, many years. But this team lacks all of those qualities. Yeah, and actually they're, they're playing exactly the same way that the Jose Mourinho did when he was hounded out of the football club. So I think Antonio Conte is on dodgy ground. I think he's also on dodgy ground with some of his post-match comments, you know, speaking about the the height of the owner's ambitions yesterday as maybe being to finish fifth in the table. That won't go down well. This is a very unhappy marriage, and it has been for some time. I keep going back to that game that you did uh, at Turf Moor when he gave that incredible post-match interview women. I think we all felt he was going to walk out of the football club. I'm not convinced that he's loving life at Tottenham. I'm not convinced the players are loving life under Antonio Conte and the fans certainly aren't loving life watching his brand of football. This this top four race is fascinating. So many different facets to it. At the moment, and, and I commentated the game on Sunday, I would make Spurs rank outsiders. I think they probably overachieved. You know, when you look at the number of times they've come from behind to pick up points they probably don't deserve and their luck just run out on Sunday. And it is an interesting top four battle, isn't it? And it's it's interesting because Chelsea have been so bad. Uh, Tottenham have been so bad yet still managed to pick up points. Uh, Manchester United started the season with a massive wobble but have come surging back through the pack. And then Liverpool as well who have started to pick up points even though they themselves still aren't playing particularly brilliantly or not at the top of their game that is uh, for sure so overall you know bearing in mind we're coming up to the midway point of the season Kev where do you see the top four panning out or how do you see it panning out I mean because Newcastle have been a bit of a fly in the ointment haven't they yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you, the consistency that they're playing with, you've got to think that they will still be in that race. The, just a quick one on the Conte thing. I'm not surprised that we've got all these stories about how unhappy he is and him giving these interviews. This is him. This is what he's always done. This is what he always will do. He thrives on that tension. He doesn't want life to be comfortable or happy for anyone because he wants to keep all of the players on their toes, wants to keep management on their toes. Where he's in danger, though, but is it could this... backfire, Kevin, couldn't it? Because it, yeah, it gives and a it mood does of negativity. Completely. And, and there's always that risk. And I think he's never a guy that you think is going to be anywhere for a long time. But obviously, at the moment, it's not a particularly good time either. And you've got this situation where he keeps laying it on a bit thick about oh, normally I challenge for titles, as if he's come in in some kind of charity push. <laughs> it's very odd. And so he's got to be really, really careful with that, I think. In terms of the top four in general, I think it's brilliant. I, I think Manchester United, I have to say, are, are in a really healthy place. Eric Ten Hag has started to get some of those principles across. He got the players that he wanted. He shifted out Cristiano Ronaldo, and that has strengthened his authority. And I think now you see things like the Rashford situation. 
before you would have had a situation where we would have had all kinds of briefs to the media saying, oh, players are unhappy. They're not happy with this. They're not happy with this. That's not happening now because Ten Hag has that authority, which some of his predecessors never managed to get. So they seem to be in a healthy place. Liverpool, I think, I've seen their last couple of games and thought, even though they didn't play well against Leicester, they're generating lots of opportunities in games. I think Darwin Nunez is going to start smashing those in at some stage. So they, to me, Liverpool and Manchester United, of the big hitters in there, look like the healthier ones. No question about that. And I think Tottenham and Chelsea, far from it. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Oh, there's an opportunity here, maybe for 2 0 West Ham. All at sea at the back. And it's been guided into the bottom corner by Josh De Silva. Everybody's position can be under threat, and it's more so if you're going to lose games. So I, I'm. Been brought up in football, I know how it works. Rashford's gone on and scored! Oh, it was inevitable! We have the obligation as uh, football players, always showing the right attitude. Probably a fair result. Newcastle nil, Leeds nil. And it feels like a missed opportunity for us with the number of chances that we create today. It's a huge disappointment for Manchester City. Great news for Arsenal though. It ends here at the Etihad. Manchester City won, Everton won. We play so good. We create chances and yeah, we concede one, we control the long balls, the second ball, we play really good. It is a very, very, very happy new year if you support Arsenal Football Club. It finished here, Brighton 2, Arsenal 4. It's a great day, obviously, to win again on, on New Year's Eve, and now we have some time to celebrate with the family, and tomorrow Newcastle. And that is the full-time whistle blown by referee John Brooks to booze all around the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. You need to have a solid foundation. It means to have... A 14, 15 strong players. Not good enough from Graham Potter's side if they're to get Champions League football. Boris won, Chelsea won. As a head coach, you're predominantly responsible for the team that's here and the players that are here. So my focus is always on how to improve them and find the right you know, solutions for games.
Chelsea Manchester City is Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Well, 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 Manchester City dropping points at home to Everton. Who would have thunk it, bearing in mind on last week's podcast, basically, Alex Crook told everybody that Frank Lampard wasn't a very good manager. But having helped his team construct a performance in which they man-marked Erling Haaland pretty much out of the game for most of it, he should be applauded, shouldn't he? Do you want to backtrack on that, by the way? Do you want to say sorry for your uh, rather rude and unnecessary comments? I'm, I'm glad that in between pina coladas you found time to listen to the podcast, Sam. Quite impressed, actually. Um, no, I, listen, one one game away from home against the champions doesn't define a manager's career. I still think Frank Lampard has it all to do to keep Everton up. But credit where it's due. That, as you say, they came out with a game plan. Clearly, Erling Haaland was frustrated. I think he was actually walking quite a, a thin disciplinary line at times with some of the challenges that he was making. But it was a question that we posed on the boot room on Sunday night. We didn't really come up with a definitive answer. And I know it might seem a churlish question because he scored 21 goals. But is there a danger that Erling Haaland has come into this Manchester City side and made them worse? Are they too reliant on Erling Haaland to score the goals? (laughs) That sounds like the most ludicrous statement that anyone has ever made. Kevin, tell him why he's nuts. Yeah, he is nuts. <laughs> I found this really interesting that this debate's come out. That because, I mean, the guy's a superstar. There's only one, there's only one person that, that, that's stoking this debate, and that is the, uh, the golden retriever in the corner. <laughs> Look, I, 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 I've, I've seen a few people saying this, although Crookie is one of them, but I've seen a few people saying this. Look, he, you, you can see the body of work already, and you can see the fact that he scores all types of goals. He's ability to sniff out chances is extraordinary. He's always in the right place. And there's a reason for that because he's an incredibly intelligent footballer. So it was surprising actually how rattled he was. I haven't seen that very often uh, that he was uh, actually, I thought he should have been sent off actually. thought that challenge Mm. was completely out of control. I thought he should have been sent off. And I was quite surprised uh, that he was uh, rattled to that extent. Look, there was always going to be a period of adjustment. I thought it was going to go the other way. I thought City were going to maybe struggle to get service to him initially and then get the timing right and then he'd have a surge. But from the get-go, he's been scoring goals. I think with them, they made some very curious decisions in the summer. Gabriel Jesus, Alexander Zinchenko, letting those guys go. I feel that squad is not as strong as it was. I think that's an issue because they're playing so many high-pressure games and because of the way Arsenal have performed, the margin for error is so small now that things they could get away with before, they're not being able to get away with. So I think... And that's and that's the key, Kev, isn't it? Yeah, the fact is it's not Erling Haaland that's made them worse. It's decisions they made in the summer yeah. to get rid of other players, ballasting the squad that isn't there now, that flexibility at the back and in midfield. They needed a little bit, I think they needed something else in midfield, a little bit extra. I know they've got De Bruyne, I know they've got uh, Foden, but those players have been around for a very long time. They've been used to playing their certain roles. That wandering into midfield that Zinchenko did gave Cancelo the opportunity to rest. He's now playing pretty much every game and can't step out of the team. They needed something more. Yes, they've got the young Sergio Gomez, who looks like he's going to be a bit of a player over the course of time. But maybe this year is a year too early for him. Where do they stand in this game against Chelsea, though, uh, Alex Crook? Because ultimately... Chelsea have been incredibly disappointing. If you go back before the World Cup, they failed to win five games leading into that tournament. They then come back, beat Bournemouth. Let's be honest about it. First half good, second half not so good from Chelsea. And then again against Nottingham Forest, they started well. Looks as if they were going to pick up points easily. Got in front through Raheem Sterling and then threw the game away in the second half. How are they going to contend with Manchester City? 
Difficult, um, because I think Chelsea are uh, playing like a team who lack a bit of energy at the moment and a bit of ingenuity. And I know there's a, a lot of Chelsea fans, actually we had a lot of callers suggesting already that maybe Graham Potter is out of his depth. I don't necessarily believe that's the case. I just think if you look at the squad and some decisions that have been made in, in numerous transfer windows, it isn't as good uh, as those established big six sides. I think Pulisic flatters to deceive. I'm not convinced by Kai Havertz in a false number nine position. They haven't really got a centre forward because of Bamiyang. Um, looks like his days in the Premier League uh, are numbered. His best days certainly are behind him. Obviously, lost Armando Broya uh, to a, a season-ending injury. So there's work to be done. They're trying to do that work. They're really keen to get Enzo Fernandez over the line. They've made uh, reinforcements already. So I think it is still a work in progress. But if we get the best of Manchester City, then for me, the best of Chelsea at the moment isn't good enough to contain them. And therefore, you would expect an away win. Recruitment at Chelsea has been poor for a long time and I've mentioned this on the podcast, as you all know, for a very um, long period now. I don't think they've had a good transfer window, Kevin, since summer 2014 um, and when they went under Jose Mourinho from being sort of also runs in the Premier League, I think second or third or something like that, uh, to, to going on and winning the title next year, the next year. Uh, since then, they've just bought in lots of guff and allowed far too much to go out of the door as well. And when I say lots of guff, that sounds disrespectful. And I don't mean it to be in any way, shape or form. But in terms of the quality of players that they're recruiting, it's not been high enough. The blend hasn't been right. And it hasn't worked. There's been so many players that have come through that club that have ended up on loan elsewhere, earning big money, going out, not performing for Chelsea. And that's been a big problem. They need to get whoever it is that is now going to be the overlord, they've got a new technical director, they've got a new recruitment team, whoever it is who's going to be responsible for bringing players in has got to start getting it right more often, haven't they? Yeah, and I think there is this big push, it seems to be, for young talent uh, and they want to put together this young, hungry squad. Well, that's fine, but you've then got to have some inbuilt patience and they've made this big decision to bring in a project guy in Graham Potter. They want to bring, they're bringing in Buddy Ashiel. He is a good player. There's no question about that. He's got Central defender potential. from Monica. Yeah, and he is a good player. No question. Is he going to be able to hit the ground running? Well, we'll see. They've had lots of injury problems. N'Golo Conte's barely played. Reese James has been in and out. Ben Chilwell's been in and out. Now, that's not their fault. There's, there's nothing you can do about that. But that has hamstrung them to a certain extent. The other thing I wonder about them sometimes is because they've got, you know, plentiful resources, how careful are they in the market sometimes? Just because you can make a certain signing doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And I agree with you guys. I think they've signed good individuals. You guys know I'm a massive Kai Havertz fan, but we've never really got the best out of him. There are various reasons for that, but I think they've got to decide on what his best position is and to an extent tailor the thing towards him. But overall, what's been really interesting for me, Chelsea fans talk about this a lot. There's a real lack of physical oomph about the team. Like they get bullied in games. That happened a lot into Thomas Tuchel as well. And you know, do they need to change the profile of the players they're signing? Because they do find it difficult to impose themselves on other teams. Okay, Crook, let's have a look at uh, some of the transfer rumours that are doing the rounds just very quickly. What are the top stories? Well, I think all eyes on uh, Michaelo Mudrik, who continues to be <laughs> very vocal on social media about how much he wants to join Arsenal. There's a confidence now, I think, 
that will happen. Um, I'm interested to see what the final fee will be because uh, I think Arsenal still feel that 100 million euros, which is the asking price from Shakhtar, is too rich. I'd imagine they'll meet somewhere in the middle and we're looking at a 70, maybe rising to 80 million pound fee. So clearly Mikel Arteta feels they don't need a direct replacement for Gabriel Jesus. Eddie Nketiah at the moment has stepped up and done quite well. Uh, Similar story with Enzo Fernandez. Chelsea are convinced this deal will happen, but I was talking to Kev before we came uh, on air. There are FFP issues. I think that's why Chelsea would prefer to pay maybe even more than his £105 million release clause, but stagger the payments rather than pay it in one hit um, this window. But they're keen to get that deal done as well. And I think we're going to see clubs lower down the food chain uh, as we always do in January, really be quite active this window, particularly Wolves, already Matthias Cunha in the building. They're really keen to bring Mario Lamina, former Southampton midfielder, former Fulham loanee, back to the Premier League. They have one bid rejected by Nice. My understanding is they're still working away um, on that deal. And I'm interested to see what Manchester United do with Aaron Wambasaka. He's a player uh, that Wolves, West Ham and Crystal Palace are all keen on in this window. But actually... He's playing quite well for Manchester United and with no sign of a replacement coming in, I wonder again if he may just have prolonged his old Trafford career until the end of the season with these recent performances. You never know. Uh, Liverpool have uh, signed Cody Gakpo uh, from Dutch football and uh, we could see him for the first time this week. Kevin, how excited are you about seeing Cody Gakpo wearing a Liverpool shirt? Very excited. Uh, I think he's got huge potential. I think he's somebody who's shown that he can score goals, he can make goals. Uh, I think Manchester United's interest in him was fascinating in the sense that did they need him because they've got a lot of players to come in from the left and, and do damage from there. He took a leadership role at PSV very early on, scored lots of goals in the Eredivisie, made lots of goals as well. He can be explosive. We saw at the World Cup his finishing ability as well. I'm not sure about him through the middle. I think he is best coming in off the left, but what he gives you is that flexibility. So it's another really exciting addition to Liverpool's forward line. And we talked about the physical profile of some of the Chelsea players earlier. The physical profile of the Liverpool players is going up a couple of gears now, isn't it, as well? Because Gakpo is massive, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and he's decent in the air. We saw that in the World Cup uh, with that winning goal against uh, Senegal or that first goal against Senegal. Uh, And so he hasn't played that centre-forward role very often, but just the idea of him, Darwin Nunez causing absolute havoc through the centre and then Salah on the right and they keep generating chances. The attack hasn't suffered. In the end, Liverpool are going to have to strengthen that midfield area. Maybe they've got a big plan for that. Certainly Liverpool fans hope they do. But Jurgen Klopp's right. There's no point just making a short-term signing like Amrabat now. You might as well keep your powder dry for the summer and hope that that attacking quality will get you through. Yeah, he's talking about Jude Bellingham, uh, just in case anybody uh, (laughs) missed that subtle reference. Although I did see something yesterday suggesting that he might be on his way to Real Madrid more than anything else. Uh, But uh, Crookie, talk to me about Amrabat because he was one of the stars of the World Cup. Is he going to end up anywhere? Is he going to move from Fiorentina where he's been playing his football recently? Well, I was, uh, as you know, staying in the same hotel in Qatar as his agent and he gave me the impression that any move likely... Uh, would be in the summer and not in this January transfer window. But I think this window is going to be almost split in half. We're seeing the clubs who want to get their business done early. We've mentioned Chelsea already and Arsenal when it comes to 
to, to Mudrich, then I think there might be a little impasse. And then we're going to get near to the end of the window and particularly those sides under threat from relegation. I put West Ham in this bracket as well. I think they might panic and maybe then someone like Amrabat comes to the fore and maybe you end up paying over the odds for a play. You can get for less money in the summer. Okay, let's see what happens. Keep up to date with it on TalkSport. The uh, thick of the action uh, in terms of transfer activity and Crookie will be at the heart of it. Let's look at some of the other fixtures that are going to be dominating the headlines this midweek. doesn't really matter when you're facing Liverpool. <laughs> they are always good. Yeah, in a chasing mode, definitely. So we need to find our best performance. We have to be very uncomfortable for everybody who faces us. Heading towards goal by Luis and touched in! It's 1-1, Vitaly Janel! Alexander-Arnold puts it back in, Robertson across to Salah! And Mo Salah scores for Liverpool! It's that man, Ivan Tony again! Ivan is a, is a crucial player for us. Chase it across the face of goal! It's touched in by Tony! This is quite alarming for Brentford. Ivan Tony, in trying to clear the corner, has landed awkwardly. We badly want him to play and then hope that he will be ready. Brentford leading by a goal to nil. They've only lost four games in the Premier League. So far this season, Arsenal, Newcastle and Manchester City are the only clubs who have been beaten on fewer occasions. We need to find uh, at least eight out of ten performance. It's that Brentford resilience in evidence again. Performance-wise, obviously, there's, there's, there's some space for improvement. We know that. Breaks the Salah at the edge of the six-yard area. Van Dijk pokes it in. Super tricky game at Brentford, so they are obviously in a good moment. At home, at the G-Take, under the floodlights, I'm convinced that we can do something and get something out of the game. going to Brentford Liverpool in the early part of the week uh, Everton Brighton is Tuesday night Leicester Fulham Tuesday night 7.45 and Leeds West Ham on Wednesday night out of those four fixtures which one of them takes your fancy Kev? Brentford Liverpool's great uh, I think uh, Liverpool have had some wobbly moments certainly against Leicester but I think there's been a general uptick in their performances either side of the World Cup break so I think they're certainly in a positive mood Brentford continue to just impressed. I mean, I, I must admit, I got them wrong last season. I thought they'd struggle to make that leap. Uh, and I thought they'd struggle this season as well without Christian Eriksen. But they found a way and they, you know, it doesn't seem to daunt them at all playing against the big boys. They played really well against Liverpool in this fixture last season. Ivan Tony may well be fit. We thought his knee injury might keep him out, but Thomas Frank has talked very positively about him. I think, by the way, the best signing Brentford will make, um, you know, in the in the last few months is Thomas Frank signing a new deal. I think that's brilliant for them. Gives them real stability. Uh, I think he's proven that he's an excellent coach at this level. He's obviously been linked with other clubs like Southampton. He was linked for obvious reasons because of, uh, you know, Rasmus Sankogren he used to work with. So, I think that's brilliant for them because a club like them, that structure, that recruitment, that tactical plan is massively important. Uh, big home games, I think, for Everton and for Leicester City in midweek. Uh, the 
game between Everton and Brighton is huge for, for Frank Lampard. If they can get over the line in that, it will change a lot of the narrative. Uh, Leicester similarly need to put points on the board, continue to put points on the board because they had that real good surge before the start of uh, the World Cup and then they've just dipped a little since the return. Uh, Leeds-West Ham is always a tasty fixture. Uh, Southampton, Nottingham Forest is interesting because it's a proper basement battle Wednesday night at 7.30. Crook, you're doing this game for Talk Sport 2. Two Welsh managers going head-to-head. Who comes out on top? Well, do you know what? Um, I'm really worried for Southampton and I think a lot of their fans are as well because I can't see a way out of this mess. I'm not convinced they've made the right appointment. I, I touched on it briefly on the podcast last week. No disrespect at all to Nathan Jones, but you look at You haven't given Aston him Villa. much time, mate, have you? Let's be honest about it. You've pounced on him very, very quickly. How many games has he had? What, two? Yeah, but you compare that appointment to, to Aston Villa hiring Unai Emery, and we, we didn't really mention it, but Unai Emery tactically was brilliant against Tottenham uh, at the weekend. Wolves hiring Lopetegui. I think he gives them uh, a fantastic chance of staying up. The, the big reason... But that's not Nathan Jones' fault that they have lacked ambition in terms of their appointment. No, no, I agree. And I'm not blaming Nathan Jones, but the problem they've got is the narrative already is Southampton fans don't think this guy is good enough. He's not a sexy enough appointment. He's lost his first few games. Even when they beat Lincoln in the League Cup, they were really poor that night against the lower league side. So he is already fighting a battle to prove himself to the supporters. I think the players need to take a bit of responsibility. Uh, They hated Ralph Hasenhutl by the end of his tenure. There's already been whispers that maybe they don't like the fact that Nathan Jones is trying to change the tactical setup. Sorry, guys, you're paid an awful lot of money. It's about time that you stepped up to the plate because let's be honest, to quote Darren Lewis, this group of players, this team, this squad, this club have been circling the drain for a long time now and I think they're going to sink down the plug hole. I think Southampton are going to go down. I I can't see a way out of it. But here's the issue, right? The, The Nathan Jones appointment feels wrong for a couple of reasons and again, not his fault, but he seems to be very much, again, a project guy, a guy that needs time. He's got a really specific way of playing. He's quite a passionate guy. He's quite an intense guy. If you've got a set of players that have just had an intense guy for years and tired of him, and then you bring in another guy who's mm. kind of even more intense, maybe, if you, if you listen to what people say about him who've worked with him, then how does that work? You've got half a season to save yourselves, you're asking a guy who needs time to bed something in and is really intense to then get a group of players to follow him. And I'm not sure they will. Yeah, it's a very difficult job for him to do, but it does seem like a very strange appointment, bearing in mind we all knew that Ralph Hasenhutl was going to get sacked either during the World Cup or immediately before it. Um, it was it was such a long time coming, that dismissal, that you would have thought that they'd had a little bit more of a plan in terms of who they were going to replace him with. Uh, in terms of the game itself, Nottingham Forest's away form is pretty poor, isn't it? Um, and just to pick out um, something from the huge tome of XG, um, <laughs> Forest have failed to score, Kevin, in each of their last six Premier League away games. 44 attempted shots, an XG of 4.6 without success. Yeah, atrocious. Uh, and I thought they were really good against Chelsea. I thought they they could have won the game, maybe. I thought they imposed themselves really well. But we talked recently about that need to have not necessarily a best 11, but certainly 
uh, best group that he wants to use, a best tactical scheme that he wants to use. I thought they looked great against Chelsea. There's potential there. They perform well against Liverpool. They've performed well against some of the big hitters. So they've shown that in flashes, they can compete at this level. It's about finding that consistency. So this is a great opportunity for Forrest. I think Southampton are all over the place. I think defensively, they're a mess. I think Forrest have the players who can hurt them. And sometimes it just takes that first big result on the road to get you going. So they'll see this as a real opportunity to pick up three points. And that is incredibly important, isn't it? It's picking up the points on the road because it's all right posting points at home and looking like you can compete with some of the big boys when you're at the city ground. A lot of promoted clubs, that happens to them because of the experience and the atmosphere uh, around the place in the build-up and during the matches. But away from home, you need that consistency of performance if you're going to post uh, points on the ball. And they need to do that if they're going to stay in the Premier League. Now, I did make an incredibly bold claim earlier in the season and Crookie absolutely poo-pooed that as well but first of all I said Everton would be okay Southampton would go down and Nottingham Forest would stay up now I know it's going to be touch and go with Nottingham Forest but I've just got this feeling in my bones that they are going to dig out enough results they're going to drag themselves just over the line at the very last crook are you coming round to my way of thinking how is your mate Steve Cooper has he had a good Christmas and, and New Year yeah, yeah, yeah. He texted me the other day and said that uh, he'd really enjoyed himself during the World Cup. I still think Forrester go down. Um, <laughs> I, I still think they look like um, a team of strangers at a time. Obviously, as Kev's mentioned, they're a different prospect at home now than they are away from home. But for me, Southampton and Forrest look like the two destined for the drop. And then I think it's uh, it's a case of who might join them. If I was a West Ham fan, I'd be worried. Um, obviously, it depends on what they do in this transfer window depends what they do with the managerial situation. But again, there is a, a club there where there is a big divide uh, between the supporters um, and particularly the manager and the, and the players as well. It turned very toxic very quickly on Friday night. And I think maybe the owners there are going to have a big decision to make soon. And that was only because you asked David Moyes a, a naughty question, wasn't it? Well, I didn't think it was a particularly naughty question. He'd spoken in the press conference about the fact he still felt secure. So after a, another defeat, I just asked him if he still felt that way. But yeah, he didn't take too kindly to it. <laughs> Maston Villa against Wolverhampton Wanderers live on TalkSport Wednesday night. Looking forward to this one as well. Especially bearing in mind that Wolves have not lost uh, to their local rivals, Aston Villa, since December 2020. Um, Unai Emery has won three of his first four Premier League games as the Villa boss. He was particularly impressive, I thought, tactically against Tottenham Hotspur. But this is an intriguing clash because of the two new managers, isn't it, Kevin? Yeah, it's a good battle, this, uh, between you know two Spaniards who, who will uh, admire each other's work, I think. I think Unai Emery has done what I expected him to do. I was positive about his appointment when he was brought in. Uh, I think he's given them real structure. The talent is there at Villa, but I think we saw with Steven Gerrard, who is a relatively inexperienced coach when you compare him to Unai Emery. He struggled to unlock that, and they ended up being a very dour team in the end that really struggled to get the best out of some of those attacking players, but they have that structure. Uh, I thought they were fully deserved winners at Tottenham. I thought they took their goals incredibly well. Um, Ollie Watkins, I find really interesting in that team because 
you never think he's going to score goals, but you always think he's going to make something happen. And I think the way he created that opening goal for Buendia was outstanding because a lot of players would have snatched at the chance and gone for it themselves. But he had the awareness to kind of turn in field and set up his teammate. But he mm. just doesn't. He did get a help in hand from goals. Hugo Lloris, though, didn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, and that was poor. That was a really, yeah, it was a really poor mistake, and we're we're seeing that quite a lot from Lloris, unfortunately. So Tottenham in the mainly the Tottenham shirt. Didn't see it during the World Cup, did we? No, no. But I, I do think, you know, obviously there's going to be an element of a hangover there as well. But there were a lot more problems for Tottenham than Lloris. But yeah, I, I think they look really sharp under Emery. I, I think Coutinho not being in the starting eleven is interesting. I think that might fire him up. Uh, certainly did okay when he came on. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that competitive tension, that... Uh, that knowledge that your place is not secure, I, I think that's a really good thing. Wolves have, have just got to find more of an attacking threat. I think they will. Cunha, I think, is somebody who can, he's got a bit of an X factor. He can make things happen. He's not a regular goal scorer, never has been, but he can make things happen and create space for others. So they've got to start scoring goals. Yeah, he was, uh, it was quite exciting when he was at uh, Hertha Berlin briefly, Matthias Cunha. Um, you mentioned Ollie Watkins. And one of the things we sort of forget about Ollie Watkins is he's not really a centre forward. He was always a winger back in the day when he was at Exeter. And when he first went uh, to Brentford, he was converted into a forward whilst he was at uh, Griffin Park and then latterly um, coming to Aston Villa. Um, so he, he isn't a natural finisher, is he? I mean, he has scored quite a few goals, but he, he's not a natural finisher. And he, he he's almost more suited to being a provider, and which is why Kevin, I think, gets excited when he gets on the ball because he thinks something might happen here. It's his work rate, isn't it? You know, and you saw that in that goal because it, it wasn't a mistake by Lloris, but he still had an awful lot of work to do, not just to outmuscle the defender, but to have that speed of mind, as Kev says, to tee up his teammate. He, he's constantly dragging defenders out of position. I, I can see why he's one of the first names on the team sheet. I think, you know, Emery will absolutely love that. I guess the, the, the puzzle that he has to solve is how you get the other players performing to their best capabilities around him, the likes of Coutinho, Danny Ings, who came on, um, late in the game and it wouldn't surprise me actually if Danny Ings maybe is a target for some of those clubs fighting against relegation because he's not playing regularly for Villa probably hasn't got too many more more moves in him so maybe just keep an eye on his situation between now and the end of the window Oh there's a little tip off there Kev you subtly put that in but you know that's because he's had a little bit of a nod and a wink <laughs> that that could well be one of those moves that happens in the first few weeks of the transfer a window. I thought Huang He Chan has been pretty impressive over the last couple of weeks uh, for uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, he's, uh, he's he's another one whose work rate is absolutely outstanding, and he can cause uh, problems for uh, opponents. I think that be an interesting game Wednesday night, eight o'clock, live on Talk Sport. Uh, it's been great to be back with you boys. By the way, it's been uh, it's been quite some while since I've seen you. Me and Crookie and and Kev and, and others saw each other every day during the World Cup doing the game day podcast. But I have had. I think a week and a, and a bit off doing it. Um, but I didn't have one single pina colada, actually, whilst I was away, would you believe? Not, not a single one. Um, I probably drank less than you did whilst you were over <laughs> here at Christmas, just enjoying your normal daily festivities. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the week. We've got uh, big games to review from midweek. We've got a whole host of FA Cup ties to look forward to as well. We'll do that a little bit later in the week. Thank you for joining us. Tell all your friends about the Game Day podcast uh, from TalkSport. Uh, we'd love uh, to have you and them along.
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 